I think right. when you really get obsessed with like brand guidelines and tone and voice and this is how we say things, whatever, it's like it can get very clinical, can start to feel very prescriptive and less human and less authentic. And so I think mm. leveraging our team as these human faces and voices uh, and very much kind of like building in public and being real humans behind the brand was one mm. of the best ways that we grew and scaled authentically. Welcome to Unskippable by Fondue, a show about how visionary founders, marketers, and brand leaders are using digital storytelling to break through the noise. Today, we're talking to Alexa Kilroy, who just joined Stay.ai as Director of Marketing and previously served as Head of Brand at TripleWell. Before joining the world of SaaS, she worked in-house at D2C Ecom Brands, managing multiple six-figure ad campaigns and building both creative and performance marketing teams. Without further ado, let's dive into my combo with Alexa. Alexa, welcome to the pod. What's up, dude? Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to, to reconnect and to talk to you. I know you're making some big moves in the brand world and the marketing world and would love to pick your brain on what's working, what you're building, what the future holds. Let's dig in, man. I'm stoked to be here. So I want to talk about Triple Whale and that whole saga in, in a second. But I guess first, if you could just introduce yourself um, your passion for creative, your passion for marketing, kind of how you got to this point in your career journey. Yeah, totally. So uh, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Alexa. I'm currently the director of marketing at an e-commerce tech company called Stay AI. And I was previously head of brand at another e-commerce tech company called Triple Whale. Um, but before that, I had a kind of crazy career journey. I actually graduated with a very specific niche degree to be a high school English teacher uh, from a college in Boston and taught for a little bit, uh, was frankly very broke <laughs> and thought, you know, the money might be elsewhere, even though I love what I'm doing. Um, and so I needed to find something creative uh, that I could really capitalize upon my love for writing and design and creativity. I done lots of things with like graphic design and photography and newspaper and journalism when I was younger. And so um, I did a couple skip hop and a jumps around for a bit, got into the e-commerce world on the merchant, on the brand side, um, really built up my career, building up advertising and marketing teams for e-commerce brands, everything from in the weeds, like product photography and videography to high level ad strategy and growth marketing. And then for the past year was at Triple Whale and I started at Stay AI uh, literally last week as of recording this podcast. So I'm about one week and a couple days in. <laughs> awesome. That, that's really exciting. And when I think about Triple Whale, I, I sort of think of like explosive growth, you know, like zero to 150 or so employees in like a little over a year, which is kind of insane. Yeah. Constantly innovating, launching new products, creating content, podcasts. Um, can you just describe like, what were some of the greatest challenges, but also some of the, the opportunities as a brand leader in that type of work environment? Yeah, I mean, frankly, I, I see challenges and opportunities as the same kind of thing. I'm a very growth mindset person. Um, we were fortunate enough that we had great funding, like we had great leadership that was very much like, go for where the opportunity takes you. And for us, that challenge and that opportunity was like, how do we make an analytics attribution data science kind of product sexy um, and exciting? And so for us, that really brought us through these kind of pillars of our marketing org, which were content, community, and education. 
Um, and so we kind of foundationally built everything around that to really build a strong community, helping those somewhat isolated and fragmented e-commerce founders really build a network with each other around a common purpose, um, providing really awesome content that not only educated people on our product, but also on the industry as a whole. Um, and then just doing all kinds of cool things um, that I'm sure you want to dig into. But, you know, we did some crazy events. We filmed a reality TV show. Uh, we really made a lot of what I would call big bets that totally paid dividends in the long run, but were kind of revolutionary things to do in like the SaaS space. Um, yep. And we we just knew that our ICP was a, a founder, you know, that's typically in their 20s to 40s running an e-commerce brain. And we thought, how can we speak to these hmm. people? And so we did some some funky, cool stuff to do it. Right. So the fact that your customers are really coming from that background of knowing the importance of brand and trying to make their products stand out. So that that's that was sort of the the impetus and, and I guess the recognition there's value here. I guess thinking about video in particular, like what was the video playbook at Triple Whale and how did you how did you sort of measure the success of different content initiatives? Yeah. Um, so I'll tell you that our playbook was do the opposite of what the SaaS marketing playbook tells you to do. So I'm pretty sure that you could go to like pretty much any SaaS, you know, like tech company's website and you're going to see one of two things. You're going to see like a cartoon video of people like talking about what the platform does, or you're going to see a demo walkthrough video with someone's voiceover, just kind of like gushing and selling the product, right? We've all seen thousands of those and there's value in it. Don't get me wrong definitely more for the latter than the cartoon video, in my opinion, but there's value in like seeing what the product is right before you book a call or whatever it is. However, like I said, like it's not novel. It's not revolutionary. We've, we've done a lot of laps on that before. And so I think for us, it was really like, how do we leverage a video asset to not only communicate what our product does, but then also really, um, what's the word I'm looking for, like emotionally empathize and resonate with the viewers of the video in kind of a unique and creative way. Um, one of our partners in doing that was a agency that we worked with that really specializes in like comedic video opportunity, like they specialize in comedy scripting. And so if you look at some of the triple whale brand videos, um, they've got this like very office spacey feel. If you see in the movie, it's like this, kind of like overbearing boss and this guy who's like trying to organize files on his computer and do the calculations. And it, it kind of hit home, not only for our age demographic, because that the office as a show and office space as a movie were things that are kind of close to our heart, but then it also still like, it kept it light while still resonating with that, some of that emotional frustration of struggling with attribution and crunching the numbers. And mm. so we kind of just like delicately balanced, you know, keeping it light as a brand, still providing value, but then also creating something that people actually want to watch, which is something I talk a lot about when I'm talking to brands about advertising. It's like, we all know what an ad looks and feels like. At this point, we are such hungry content consumers that we want something that's engaging and interesting for us to watch. And so we kind of optimize towards that direction. And then to your point about how do we determine efficacy, whether you see it from the front end or from from or not, we do have multiple variants of videos that we're running for ad campaigns that we're putting on our YouTube, whatever. And I mean, it's basically like an A-B test, right? You're just looking at what gets the best engagement, what gets the most views, 
and then you're placing it in lots of different places beyond just your paid advertising and on your YouTube channel, you're linking it in sales comms and lifecycle marketing, all that kinds of stuff to see what kind of videos are about performing. And then once we kind of dialed in on that office spacey, these characters that we developed, that kind of thing, we continued to kind of build on it almost like episodically as we built out product features and offerings and things like that so that it became um, core to our brand was like this story with these characters that, you know, kind of hit those emotional pain points, but also are fun and engaging to watch. Right. It seems like striking that balance between creating something witty and, and humorous and p- something that people are just going to enjoy watching regardless of if, if there's a product behind it. And yeah. then also sh- like empathizing with the pain, showcasing li- a little glimpse into the product features. Um, to me, that still seems like sort of a, a top of funnel sort of kind of initial touch point. But then it's the, it's the podcast and it's that educational content. And it's the Twitter feed where you really provide the insights to keep people engaged and, and, and position yourself as, as that thought leader so they'll yep. end up booking, booking a call later, later down the funnel. Yep, absolutely. That's exactly how it works. And remind me the, the content of the web series you did. I think you did a series with, like, with creators. Was it, was it with influencers? And I guess what was the thinking like, let's go in this direction? And, and what was sort of the, the response to that from your audience? Yeah. So to give you the rundown, the project was called D2C After Dark. It was, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, we did it last summer. One of the most exhausting projects I've ever done in my whole life. I'll admit, I have so much more respect for everyone that works in production, video work in general, editing, all of it. Uh, But we created a four or five episode, essentially mini series. So think of it like, you know, the real world almost, those MTV series. Again, something that like really hits at a lot of the people in our networks, like, youthful moments of shows that we used to watch on things like MTV. And um, essentially what we did was we partnered with about 50 different D2C brands. We rented this really cool house and then we leveraged, I think like five or six um, creators that create UGC um, for these brands. So like the folks that you would contract out to make, you know, product videos for your ads. And the concept behind it was really to give you a glimpse behind the curtain and what goes on when you contract these folks and frankly, they aren't cheap, right? You're paying them to make content for you. Uh, so you can kind of see the behind the scenes of what that looks like while also giving it like a fun storyline where you can see these people interact with each other and they're in this lavish house and they go on all these, you know, they go on a boat trip and they go to a brewery and do karaoke and they do all these fun, you know, go out for a night on the town. So they got to do all these fun things. And so it had the interpersonal, you know, conflict drama, like, good vibes there uh, that made it interesting to watch as a series, but it also had some of that behind the scenes. Um, And to kind of give you the roundabout answer on how it went over, um, it was great. It worked out really well. The brands that participated in it with us got lots of great content that they could use for their ads in exchange for sending us product. Um, The creators had a blast, did really well with like our, our email audience and things. And it was just kind of one of those big bet, like, let's just do something crazy as a SaaS company choices. Um, and ultimately really helped strengthen not only our customer community, but actually got prospects that wanted to participate in the project, um, kind of in the door to build a relationship with Triple Whale. It was overall just like a super fun blast. And of course, we had other like tech partners, agency partners and things that went in on it with us. So it ended up being just a really awesome project overall. But was nuts. I am by no means a producer or director by trade. 
and you bet that I was in there running around, pulling guys with camera packs around, directing them what to shoot. I like had to take a nap on site a couple times because we were shooting like 14, 16 hours a day. Like it was wow. totally wild. It was wild. And, and you were on camera too. You got to sort of host, host the group. Yeah, but if you watch the episodes, you'll notice I slowly make less and less appearances as I started to fall apart throughout the week. It's like, at one point, I wish they had clipped it in, but at one point, they were filming a scene that I was definitely supposed to be in, and I stepped yeah. out on the couch to do something on my phone, like type an email, and I completely fell asleep. Like, somebody touched me in. <laughs> I was like, I wish they had panned over to me. Like, yeah, that would be pretty meta. There. The producer is behind the, screen, behind the scenes. Yeah. And then I guess like when you're trying all these types of like content pieces and series and you're in this startup environment where things are moving really fast, how do you stay true to your sort of core brand voice or sort of position, whatever that anchoring statement is about who we are when you're also producing so many things in so many directions? And I'm sure, I'm sure the voice evolves, like especially at a company at this early of a stage, like the more you output, it's just like, you know, slowly but surely your customers and your prospects sort of get, you know, build a, an evolving impression of who Triple Well is. But how did you stay true to your center um, throughout that, that crazy year? Yeah, I mean, to your point, it does evolve. But I think what was critical for us is that our marketing team was composed of people that were at one point users of our product, a product similar to ours, or sat in the merchant, the ICP seat. And so while we did have like a general brand voice and way of approaching things, um, it was also a blend of a lot of our unique voices. So there was a blend of my voice and my Twitter presence, as well as Robert, former CMO's presence through our podcast and on Twitter and writing our whale mail. And so like we all similarly had the same background and interests and passions and a lot of the same communication styles. And just having general awareness of how we wanted to communicate as a brand and then infusing that into who we were as people and infusing who we were as people into mm -hmm. the brand was actually one of the most effective ways of keeping things aligned without too, what's the word I'm looking for, like too clinical or too scientific. I think right. when you really get obsessed with like brand guidelines and tone and voice and this is how we say things, whatever, it's like it can get very clinical, can start to feel very prescriptive and less human and less authentic. And so I think leveraging our team as these human faces and voices uh, and very much kind of like building in public and being real humans behind the brand was one mm. of the best ways that we grew and scaled authentically. That's super cool. Yeah, I love kind of peeling back the layer, the, the superficialities of, of a brand guide and saying, hey, who are the humans responsible for making these decisions? And also in put it, putting trust in people's hands. Like, you know, we, we, we kind of were part of this e-com culture. We know how, you know, our customer thinks. We know how one another, we, we think together. And we can also bring our unique individual flavor into that mix. And, like, just everyone go out and do, do what you do best. And that's – it's coming from that core cultural culture and mutual understanding. Um, yeah. So it really starts with the people. Yep. That was totally it. We have this uh, kind of – Hiring philosophy that I had, I adopted when I was at Triple Whale, but um, we called it the airport seat challenge. And so it was like when you were going to hire someone for your team and you had to travel with them, imagine that your flight got delayed and you're sitting in those like terrible plastic and metal airport seats and you're just like grumpy waiting for your flight. And it's like if you couldn't comfortably 
though uncomfortably, sit in that seat with your colleagues or your teammates or everyone for those six or eight hours and have a good time, then it probably wasn't a culture fit. Um, and I think that that is actually one of the most like interesting things that I've ever thought about because you could have brilliant people on your team that you have just inherent like cultural or value differences with hmm. that don't work out in the long run. But if you gel well together as people and they're either hustlers and willing to learn or they're already skilled, which is great, then you're just going to have so much of an easier time trying to achieve the goals that you're trying to achieve. Yeah. I love the simplicity and yet the profundity of that benchmark. It's the airport test yeah. or the, the, yeah. you know, the airplane. Uh, it's strong. Yeah, it is strong. That's great. I, I love to keep that, keep that top, front and center um, as we grow. So just reflecting on, on your career so far, I know you're about to jump into your next adventure here um, with Stay. What's, what have been, are there any projects that stand out as the most exciting or the most rewarding? You can think about all your brand um, kind of experiences so far, but what, what's been the most impactful, exciting project you've worked on so far? You know, I think it, I think I could answer that question like at least once for every company that I've ever worked at. Yeah. Um, I'm fortunate enough that when I started in e-com, my first ever job in, in e-com was actually doing customer service phone work. Um, and I was working at a super small startup where I knew I had this English background. I was really interested in behavioral and educational psychology and started learning about customer psychology. And I started getting really good at like winbacks and navigating difficult customer conversations. Hmm. Um, and I tell the story sometimes in podcasts, but um, I was at the time working for a subscription supplement business and um, they were trying to navigate some like churn and subscription cancellation issues. And so um, I was kind of tasked with like, winning back customers on calls and getting them to freeze or whatever instead of canceling. And I, for every X amount of winbacks I got, my boss would give me $100 cash. And there were days where he was like cashing me out like $700 in cash wow. because I was getting so good at it. And that was when I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to level up to like something else. Can I have more responsibility? And that's kind of been like my path everywhere I've gone. It's like, I've mastered something and then asked for more responsibility. And then, ma and this is not me tooting my own horn. It, it comes with like hours of hard work and practice and, you know, long nights and working on weekends and all that kinds of hard stuff. But I think it was, you know, the next responsibility after the CX role was working on ad copy. And then the next responsibility was working on ad creative. And it was just kind of like climbing up step by step until I was running advertising teams and I was getting really good at media buying. Um, and then, after I worked on the brand side for a while, my former CMO at Triple, Raba, asked me to come lead brand at Triple. And so, like, I think there have been a lot of, like, micro accomplishments that were very impactful at the time that were, like, rungs on my ladder. And now I'm in the position where um, at Stay, I just started last week, but I'm essentially building a marketing function from the ground up. I'm building a team. I'm building all of the processes. I'm building really, like, the function and all of the cogs in the machine there. Um, and it's just a, a new rung, a new layer of like responsibility and challenge to overcome. And so, uh, to your question, I think probably one of the things that I'm going to be most proud of, uh, accomplishment wise will be something that comes from my current role. So I guess stay tuned. Um, but yeah, I think even just thinking back at, at triple whale, like I, I reflect on, um, the whaleys, which was a huge event that we threw last year that brought 200, 250 e-commerce merchants and partners and folks together in a room. And there was this massive chaotic ice storm in Austin that 
grounded flights and canceled hotel rooms. The power was out at my house. I had to stay in a hotel. We were just like overcoming every headwind possible. And people, the community that we had built was so excited and passionate about being there that people were flying into Alabama or Houston, the event was in Austin, and taking crazy long Ubers just to make it to the event. Um, just like seeing that passion hmm. come from our customer community was one yeah. of those like, holy, you know, expletive, we made it kind of moments. Um, yeah. And so I think that was like, that's probably my most recent like big win, um, but excited for hmm. what's to come soon. Yeah, serious loyalty. That's really cool. I didn't realize that, that story about the whaleys. Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess for, with Stay, well, first quick intro to Stay. Do you mind sharing like in a nutshell what Stay does? Yeah, I don't have the elevator pitch down yet because I'm, I'm only like four days in, but essentially it's a yeah. subscription and a retention app for e-commerce. So um, offers a merchant portal and a customer portal so that you can offer like totally customized subscription, retention and loyalty programs um, that are just super innovative. It's like backed by AI and machine learning, um, really just like the next generation of the old you know, subscription plugin app that you probably had on your first Shopify site. What are some of the priorities for you? Obviously, you've got to put all these systems in place from the ground up, which is going to be, you can have your hands full. But in terms of any specific initiatives, what, what's, what are some of your priorities coming into this role? Yeah, I mean, right now, like I'm literally doing the simplest things like working on RevOps work so that our CRM communicates appropriately to things. But uh, I think it's easy for us to conceptualize what a blank slate actually means in sales marketing versus what it sits, what it means to sit down at your laptop and actually try and tackle it. But like, there are no email marketing flows, you know, there's no newsletter built out. There's no framework for any of this stuff. So I think really just building all that stuff ground up is like our first, uh, first kind of 30, 60, 90 day priorities for me right now. Um, we are in a really cool and interesting industry where like the closest direct competitors to us just do not have as robust a feature set, um, do not have a level of customization or just basically what the merchants are looking for. And so for me, I, I really want to kind of use every marketing channel that I can to spread the word almost from a product marketing standpoint to emphasize how powerful the product is um, mm. because it's not like any of its peers on the market or what wow. someone might refer to as a peer. And so I think um, I'm thinking about all the ways that I can leverage content and events and community and things like that to really spread the gospel of what we are doing um, and share how robust this product is with people. Um, that's kind of like operation one, I think, um, which is very closely tied to just kind of building up that brand awareness like I was kind of tasked with doing a while back at Triple. And so, um, yeah. it's, it's exciting. It's a lot of work, but it's also, like I said, like there's something about a blank slate that is really exciting and overwhelming at the same time. And so, um, it's, it's super awesome to be in the position where I get to, I get to build out the systems from the jump in a way that works best for myself and my team and, and build up a team that works really well for us, as opposed to, you know, getting someone else's systems that need weeks of fixing and refining and things like that. Yeah. It's great that you're kind of building off a killer product already. So the product sort of speaks for itself. And it's just like, yeah. how do we communicate that? How do we make that tantalizing for, for yeah. our you know, prospect base? I guess kind of thinking, reflecting on you know, your totality of experiences so far, um, what's the key to an explosive B2B brand? 
I, I think it really depends on what you do and what your industry is. Um, consumers are so much more wise to advertising than they used to be. They get smarter and smarter every year, and especially because content inundates us in every corner of the world. Um, I think it's very, very, very hard to, to have a successful brand and successful advertising unless your product actually rocks. And frankly, there are a lot of just not great products on the market um, that people are trying to push really hard with advertising and they have, I mean, the B2B world, they have churn problems, they have issues scaling, they reach whatever their kind of critical mass is. So I think it's like having a strong understanding of your TAM and then knowing how to message to those people better or than anybody else in the market. Um, my kind of, my Alexa-ism that goes everywhere with me is that you need to become a student of your customer. And if you don't know like the upside down, inside out of your customer's needs, wants, challenges, values, like everything, you're never gonna be good at writing successful messaging, successful copy, even like cold outbound emails. You just really need to know your customer inside and out. And so I think it's a combination of having a strong product that you know where it sits uniquely in the market and then knowing your customer well enough to figure out how to approach them in an authentic way, in an effective way that actually touches on their, their pain points and provides a solution, but also in a way that feels different than whatever mm. else is on the market. Yeah, that's the key. How do you differentiate? Because your competitors call it, hopefully know, know the customer well too. But it's interesting, pro, you know, product and marketing both rely on that deep empathy with the customer to, to get the product right. You have to know that and yep. to get the messaging right. It's the same thing. Yep. We, we live in this age of data measurement and performance KPIs as a creative, you know, wh what's the role of just like rockstar creative. Sometimes it is a little more ethereal to measure, but what's the role in today's world of, of, of data? I guess it depends on what you're using the creative for. So uh, my answer is that it's always contingent upon the goal of what you're developing. Um, if you know, you're know you working with a web creative agency, then your goal is to provide a website experience that keeps people on the page and gets them to do whatever you need them to do, right? Book a demo, buy something. If you're making ad creative, it has its own goal. So I think it's like, it's very contingent upon what your outcome is yeah. um, ultimately. If you're just working on something like broader brand creative, then your outcome and your goal there is to represent the message and the vision and the visual identity in such a way that evokes the desired response from your customer. Um, and so I think that's like, that's such a hard question to answer because there isn't one catch all answer for me. If, if you were to look at my like Google sheet right now of all the KPIs for all the different things that I'm building out and running, like probably, 50 different metrics that I'm, I'm looking at. Um, and right. so what I'm, what I'm assessing, like, is this piece of creative good or not? It really depends on how I'm deploying it and then why I had it made in the first place. Yeah. So really, really being clear on the goal and the why behind that initiative, yep. um, and go taking it from there. That's a fair answer. Um, do you have a favorite commercial or brand campaign from the, from the past year of just anything you've seen out there in the wild? Ooh. You know, I just, I don't have commercials anymore because um, I don't have TV, normal TV. And frankly, I don't even watch a lot of like streamable TV either. 
Um, I think a lot of the ads that I love are ads that are served to me on social media, which I also don't really go on that much anymore. Like right now, all my ads are other B2B SaaS products because now I have a new job and I'm getting served all of those. Um, I think uh, it's hard to say. I think there there's one brand that I, I love. Is it okay if it's an e-com brand? Sure. Yeah, so I think that there are two e-com brands that I really love and respect, um, and this is kind of a, a saucy one, but um, I'm very fascinated by um, people who have to sell like risque or controversial products on platforms like Facebook, where there's a lot of restriction mm. on what you can and can't do and can and can't say. And so there's one brand called Nude, N-O-O-D, that makes yeah. um, like a light tool that you can use to basically like get rid of your leg hair, armpit hair, whatever. They have like really just stand out, like funny ads that I think are awesome. And they just speak really well to their target demo. Um, probably not always NS, not safe for work as I you for the pod, um, but there's a really good. And then another one that I really love is a brand called Truly Beauty, which is um, a skincare brand um, that I, I'm just obsessed with them for a variety of different reasons, but they essentially, um, make a variety of like high quality skincare products and they've done just a lot of crazy weird things to get in front of their audiences. But one of them is that, um, I just think that their product packaging and their, uh, labeling of their products. So they have like a body scrub called unicorn fruit. That's like rainbow colors and it smells like an adult scent and it is, you know, like a, a adult women's body scrub, but it, really capitalizes upon some of this like youthful energy that I think right. we are all ultimately craving. And if you compare their advertisements to something like Olay, which is like Olay is very like also trying to give you this anti-aging, like youthful glow. Olay feels really sterile and clinical compared to what Truly is doing, which is like young and youthful and like almost like Crayola joy that they're bringing back to your life. And so I think for me, like the ads and creative that stand out to me are things that are truly like innovative. And um, of course I can't see on the back end exactly how all these things are performing, but I, I think right. I'm like most impressed by creativity and like out of the box kind of stuff than the like, you know, old school face wash ads. Cool. Well, it's been great connecting a little bit here and just understanding yeah. your perspective on what it takes to create an unignorable brand in today's day and age. Definitely yeah. living in a, in a crazy digital, just like content saturated world. It's so funny yeah. too that like marketers, a lot of marketers I've talked to don't aren't huge consumers of content. Um, I think I'm just tired. Of, man. <laughs> my yeah. brain's tired at the end of the day. It's so funny. It's like my go-to things to do at the end of the day are ironically crosswords because they like are a good things for me to focus my energy on. But I don't know. I'm not. I'm forced to not think about work, or I'm just like a complete potato person and I don't think a singular thought between <laughs> what I sign off and what I wake up the next morning. I have two modes. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I appreciate the growth mentality and, and just the striving to keep keep climbing the next rung of your career ladder. Thanks for sharing some insights. Yeah. And right. we'll see you on the next one after your your uh, the first part of your stay at Stay. Yeah, my first part of my, yeah, we'll have to catch back up and see what crazy stuff I got myself into this time. <laughs> for sure. Awesome. Thank you so much. Unskippable is produced by Fondue. I'm your host, Itai Joseph. For soundbites, insights, and new episodes, follow Fondue, F-O-N-D-U, on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And check out some of our latest video projects at fondu.co.